You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome, Welcome to the Smoking Word. Welcome, um casadarock.com we also got yeah so we got some slides left and we're about to drop some new merchandise on there also so look out for that and also um we got some shows coming up with gore when you hear this i think um the week after the shows will be going on so um i don't got the dates again in front of me but you got google for that but uh we got some shows with gore and i hate god go check us out then and then after that we're going to cali and we got that punk rock bowling in Vegas. So I want to see everybody out there. Thank you to everybody who's been coming out to all our shows and who will be continue to come out to all our shows because um, wherever they want us, we're going to be to the place. So um, look out for us in a fucking city near you. Um, what else? Um, ca- uh, follow us. Casadarock.com. Um, you could also uh, follow us on Instagram. Um, the Smoking Word podcast has an Instagram. So if you have any questions about um, the Smoking Word, go to Smoking Word on Instagram. You can also follow me at Hoya Rock 357 on Instagram. And a big, big shout out to always to my Patreon family who've been holding me down. I know we, we had a little bit of a break there. I said that on the last one. But um, if you saw that we just dropped a half hour. If everybody who's out there, if you're listening to this, only my Patreon family seeing what we got. We got I got some really good exclusive shit unseen to the, the public eye. So if you want to get down with the get down, patreon.com slash the smoking word. That's how you um, invest in the show. If you want the smoking word to keep going on, if you want to keep killing time with your boy, that's where you go support the show. You know the deal. There's four tiers. You can support from $2 up. Exclusive footage. And I'm going to be taking it on the road. So if you're part of the Patreon family, you're going to have a lot of uh, exclusive backstage shit going on. I can't tell you what it's going to be because it hasn't happened yet. But stay tuned. Shout out to my Patreon family. And um, definitely, um, who else? Who else? Who else? A big shout out to um, the Hella Hella Hot Sauce family for the, keeping me fucking right with the hot sauce. And... The Cali Care Group. Listen, keep your brains right out there. Get that sun. Medicate naturally. Eat fruit. Um, eat things that are green. Do things that are green. You know the deal. And I want a big shout out to Samsa, Louis Rodriguez, Corey, and Hold It Down's finest, Darren Morgan Dollar. Darren, remember, your, your last name sounds like a fucking death metal band. I always remember you said that, but... um. Shout out to everybody. Shout out to Rick the Straps for lacing the sky and my brother Warren. I got the fly straps in the game. So all you guitarists, bass players out there, <clears throat> go get those Rick the Straps. And also to Cortex, my family in Kreuzberg, Germany. Thank you for the package. 
Go support them. They are the fucking home base in Europe for fucking everything hardcore. So, you know, go check them out. All right. I got on this on this episode of the spoken word. I finally got my boy, Boston's finest, the one and only, my brother Slain. Let's set this shit off. We should have threw that gangsta shit. Oh, oh shit. You see, just as I said that, boom. You hear me? That's good. I didn't hear you. What'd you say? There you go. No, I say I was just about to say, yo, throw that gangstar shit on and pop. You popped up. I said, you know, we had a it said George Carroll, but then I had to bring you out of the darkness. <laughs> what up? What up? What's going on? Chilling, man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. No, I, I'm glad I fucking finally got you. I was saying that we've been talking about it for a while. And I was like, yo, the, the the little gap came on. I said, let me jump on it. You know, like you know how that shit works. I was yeah, like, we talked yeah. about it a few times. You've been doing this podcast a minute, right? Yeah, like you know what it is. I had this shit like five, six years ago. The first, the first round of it, and then we stopped. And then you know it was hard to keep up because technology. That shit wasn't up. It ain't like now with the Zoom shit and all that. Yeah. You know, it was like I needed my sound man to literally do this shit for me. You know, I'm like, you know, I can't do shit. I barely know how to use my phone. You know, I'm like, I turn into my pops. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and fucking, um, but then what happened was during the COVID shit, I started seeing like um the Zoom shit come into play, you know, on interviews and whatever. And I go, what's the Zoom shit? And I'm like, everybody was getting in. I go, wait a minute. It just made this platform way easier to do. You I know? need a microphone like you. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, you sound good. I got you. Right, though. You know, not nah, yeah, exactly. And fucking um basically it made you know this shit happen like this. And it's like that's the one good thing that came out of this COVID shit. You know, it was like uh this this part this part of technology, it, it kept the world connected, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, that shit's important. Evolved, bro. I mean, this is just part of the whole thing, how everything works now. You can jump on Zoom for better or worse. It's the yes. gift and the curse, you know. But exactly, exactly. And and what's up with you when like I know what you've been doing, but what you've been doing? <laughs> I've been chilling, man. You know, I've been, I think like th this whole thing put the whole world on pause. You know what I'm saying? For for a minute. And then we kind of navigate around it. It's like anything in life, right? You get hit yep. with the obstacle. It's, it, it stuns you for a second and then you change and you adapt and you make things work. So, I mean, I've been doing the same shit minus the touring, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, I've been recording. I got a new movie coming out. And, you know, I told you on the phone the other day, I've been, you know, working in in addiction and recovery. And, and yeah, yeah, no, we're going to talk about that because uh, this all this whole shit leads into to that, basically. But fucking um, go back during the beginning of this shit. Did you have anything ready that you were going to drop or something set up? What were you playing before I COVID? Like, I had what? like 30 shows that I was about to announce. I mean, no, I had already no. announced some. I had a St. Patty's Day show. Of course. Always right, up remember. The day, right up into it was my 14th consecutive St. Patty's Day show in Boston. And, and right up to the day before it, I was like, the show's still on. And then and then um, the governor announced no no gatherings of 10 people. I was like, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And it so it, it didn't happen. And then I had to cancel a bunch of shows after that. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because, you know, you know, I'm an independent artist, man. So, I mean, I, touring is part of how I survive and feed my family and all that. You know what I'm saying? So 
that sent a little shock through me for a minute, but I was like, all right, well, let me just capitalize on the time to stay home with my family and, and all that. And, uh, you know, found a way to record through it too. Like I was doing mixing sessions with, with the archetype who's, you know, my business partner, my producer, like we, you know, I put my music out through his label now and yeah, you know, we work together on everything. So, I mean, we have a whole thing set up now too, for like, you know, we can actually get on the same file together and listen to, you know, yeah. like mix a song together. Like, Take, well, it's crazy. It's you know what, you, you know what, what we're doing now is what Rick Rubin used to get paid mad loot for back in the day when he would produce sessions from his house. You remember people used to be like, yo, he pops on a screen and he just listens <laughs> to the session. Oh, you mean what we do all the time now? But that's what he used to do for some sh sessions. He wasn't even in the house, but he could have been. But it's you know, crazy how technology just goes like that. Because you remember when we were growing up, this shit was impossible. I, it was like inspect a gadget. And, hell yeah! And that TV show Get Smart, right? So hell like, yeah! You could look at people on the watch or fucking on a TV monitor or whatever, and it's like that shit didn't even exist. And then when it did exist, it just happened. Listen, I, I could tell you. Like, I could tell you when it happened for me in, in, in technology for recording. Um. Um. I forgot which record, but uh, we're recording. It's our first record with, with Pro Tools. This is why you could understand this. So, you know, obviously we come from the, the old days of, of doing shit on reels. So everybody, yeah. to, everybody listening to this, we're going to talk some tech shit, but you're getting this from a gorilla, so don't, it ain't going to be too technical. But this, we came up recording the old way onto tape. Now, the Pro Tools talk was only... Metallica, Madonna, you used to hear about, you know, the big dogs, you know, sessions like that. And back then, Pro Tools was taboo. Oh, it's not going to make the song sound natural. The sessions are going to sound fake, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I came up that way and I don't know shit. I just know I like what I like. I play what I play. And then um, we, we go to record the record. So they were like, yo, we're going to do this shit on Pro Tools. And we have all these questions and all these questions that are probably such are such bullshit questions now looking back. And we're telling um, I'm Zeus. I think it was Zeus. And then he's like, all right, go through the song. So, you know, we go through the song. And he goes, OK. And we're like, what do you mean? OK. He's like, no, we got we got that take. You want to do one more? Just to, and I go, no, no, no. What do you mean? We got the take already. He goes, yeah, there's like one mistake. We'll go one more pass. And then I could, you know, I, I got enough. I go, what do you mean you got enough? Because. We're used to tracking a song fucking a hundred times just because on tape, you know how it was. We were no click tracks for our music back then. No clicks. We're going on feel that you can see. It's fucking. And now I'm like, we couldn't believe it. Me and Mitz were like, no, we're going to do extra takes just because we want to do them. Yeah. You know, and he was like, all right, if you want to do what you want, but we got Yeah, it. I remember recording on the ADAT, onto ADAT. And then like, if you have, if the, I remember a specific track I did and it had like a beep on it at a certain point. I was like, oh, fuck, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix, but it's like, you can't just now in Pro Tools, it's just like highlight it, delete it. You know what I'm saying? You can move. Yeah. It's, it's just so much easier and more cost effective really i think that's obviously why everybody moved to that because who got time and money to like fucking you know for all the extra shit yeah but your first ever recording anything anything was it at a real studio or was it like with a box pressing record 
It was the first time I ever, I mean, the first. <laughs> yeah, first, first. Ever yeah. recording anything. I would go to Tower Records. I would get, um, I would get like instrumental tapes that had the instrumental, like a maxi single that had yeah. the instrumental. And I would buy blank tapes and I would put the, the instrumental in the one deck and the blank tape in the other deck and the record deck. And I would plug the headphones into uh, the <laughs> headphones into the jack. So, and it would act like a microphone. Ex yep. Then I would take the, I would take the blank tape out and put it in the play deck and I would put another blank tape into the other deck. Meanwhile, I'm losing quality every time I go down, but yeah. I, and I would end the track. and that's how I practiced and before I ever went into a studio. Hell yeah. And that's why I asked because I did the same shit and, and I want people to understand that. Like, again, I like bringing this up once in a while with, with all types of music, like, it's dope technology and laptops now and all this shit, but you don't need none of that shit. You just got to want to do it and you'll figure out how to fucking do it. Cause what That's I used you. to, you know, I used to do the same. What I had to do was I would play a track on a tape. Right. And then I would play it. I would, then I would play a hip hop video. Right. And then I would play that guitar track. I would play the guitar track on a radio, hit the video sync that up and then press record on another tape and then play the live track to do this. I was doing the same shit. Like, you know, Ray, it was insane just to hear an overdub, to hear a fucking, you know, a punch. You know what I mean? And, and I'm and like, that's part of how you develop your style and find your voice and everything. Cause you know, the first time you do it, you're like, damn, that's how I sound. Yeah. And you're holding your shit for years and years and years. That's why I, I almost feel bad for some of these kids now who, put the first shit they ever recorded like onto the internet for everybody. Yeah, Nobody heard my shit until I had been doing it for 15 fucking years. You know what I'm saying? Like I had already like found a, you know, a yeah, rhythm yeah. It and found my voice and mastered it to a certain extent. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I tell uh, dudes like, don't, I wouldn't put that out yet. That's the first Yeah, thing. You know, I think that's what also, I mean, it, it, it's, it sucks in some ways. It's dope in some ways and it sucks in some ways because it keeps the magic like, you know, you hear stories like, how was he? I heard he back in the day he was dead. Nobody knows. But in some ways, if you're dope, even nobody starts off dope. But, you know, sometimes you can see that diamond in the rough. If you could see that shit unfold, it'd be dope to see that, you know, like, oh, shit. Like, I see him progression, progression, you know, from a SoundCloud kid or something. And then be like, OK, yo, now I see him on a single. OK, now I see him with a uh, on a guest track. Oh, shit. Now the kid's dope. He's on a Sprite commercial. Yeah. You know, all right, that could be cool. But, yeah, but that's nobody like, wants to see that shit until you're already dope. And then I be know. like, oh, I can see how it evolved. Like in the beginning. I, this I, know. Like, you know? I know, I know. <laughs> if I, all right, right now, what, hip hop or rap, how, how long now you say, okay, I've been, all right, you've been rapping all the time, but like, yo, okay, I'm rapping, I'm going for it. Like how long, how many years you give yourself? I mean, like, I, this is just part of who I am. Like, I do yeah. it regardless of whether I'm torn, whether I'm making money, but, whatever. It's but just, wait, no, like, not like, okay, because when I met you, when, when you were coming, when well, LD coming to New York and all that around that time, 18. you know, you already had that shit where you were like, okay, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I want to get, I want to get put on. I'm trying to find who's doing what you were going or whatever. Yeah, um, I was 18 years old. I met you when I was 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was making demo tapes with Damien. Yeah, that's food, what I mean. But already then, you already, by then, you were already saying, okay, you know, I want to try to get signed, bah, bah, bah. When were you saying, yeah, I want to start getting signed? How far rap? Because you were always, because, you know, a, a lot of city kids, like the same thing with me. 
I grew up rapping for fun. You know how it is. Everybody was always just rapping, being around, and you grow up rapping for fun, and then blah, blah, blah. And then I grew up with dudes that would do the same. We would do it for fun. Even MQ being around, bombing, you know, you start freestyling, talking shit. And then I remember, then there was dudes that, oh, they would write and then take the next level. They start doing demos. Yeah. Okay, I wouldn't. Then I was just like, oh, no, I, I like it. You know, I changed the words off whatever song was on the radio a little bit. Now, then I saw these other guys taking it further. They were okay taking it serious then. When do you, how far into rapping you think before you said, okay, let me, let me. So my shit was a little bit different because so I started writing when I was nine years old. And, you know, I would just kind of, kind of bite like whatever I was listening to at the time, whether it was LL Cool J or yeah. Beastie Boys or, you know, Big Daddy Kane. I would try to do it like Big Daddy Kane did it. And then as I got Kane's older, when I was like 15 or 16, then I started to find a little more of my own. I was writing like stuff that I was going through, but I always kept it secret. I didn't, I wasn't out like freestyling and shit like that yeah. when I was that age. It wasn't like, it was a different kind of culture in Boston where everything was kind of segregated. And yeah. you know, there was still like a lot of like, you know, it was like, it, it wasn't like New York. You yeah, know? no, no, Boston. I know Boston was, you know, all black on one side, all white on one side, even if it was all hip hop, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so I, like you would, I would, people would look at you like, what are you trying to be? Like, if you're trying to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we all, everybody listen to hip hop, but so I kind of kept it a secret, you know what I'm saying? So I had been writing for years before anybody ever heard it. And then a couple of my friends, whatever, would be like, damn, that's good, dude. But I never really thought it was a possibility to me. And, um, you know, after after high school, like I cleaned up a little because I was heavy into hard drugs, like towards the last couple of years of my high school with the angel dust and all that. And I was fucked up a little bit. And uh, and then I got my shit together and um, and 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 then I went to New York. I wanted to go to film school. So I went to film school. That's where I met Damien and Cypher. And and um, and then that's when I started going out and freestyling on corners and doing yeah, overnight. Nah. And that's when I realized, like, oh, shit, I, I'm good at this. I yeah. got something here. And uh, and once I started doing that and catching a little wave with it, then I got kicked out of film school and I was like, all right, fuck it. I just I put my chips in with the music shit. And I was having such a good time with it. And that's when, like, you know, we met MC Shan and we were going to the studio in Jamaica, Queens. We were making uh, so, demo. So let me ask stuff. you that. How how was that with Shan and whatever? How the fuck you how did that connection happen? Because, you know, I grew up. You know, being from Queens, I used to hear about, I, you know, I never seen them. I used to I seen them in a Jeep as a kid. But, you know, you say, yo, Shan, but, you know, you, how the hell you connected the dots with him? I, I forget how we we started going to the Stude Reinhardt studio in, in Jamaica, Queens. I think it was Damien's Connect. Uh, I forget exactly, honestly, now at this point, how we ended up there. But we ended up there and and. And and uh and, and Raynard was like, yo, you're dope, bro. Like fucking, you know, like that. He was like, yo, come, you gotta check out this white kid that comes to my studio. He's a and then Shan came through one time and Shan uh, you know, he schooled me a little bit. He's like, you gotta pronounce your words better. He used to have me rap with the pen in my mouth yeah, yeah. in the booth, like to stretch out my yeah, yeah. you know, and, and um and then I remember he said to me one day, he had on a gold watch, he's like, You wanna get a gold watch like this? He's like, stick with me. I'm gonna show you how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you want to roll? You yeah. You want a Timex like this? He's like, no. But I not like. Um, I mean, that's dope, and that's just dope. That like, um, let me ask you this. All right, but 
how many was there a lot of, like you said there was a secret like that a lot of people didn't know you were writing hip hop or whatever how many white kids you knew that were rhyming rhyming like at that time when you were out because you know you find each other you hear about other dudes you know what yeah, i mean i think I'm, well like, that was the era where it all started to kind of you know prior to that right there was the beastie boys then there was house of pain yeah and there was, you know, so, but then I think Eminem came out a little bit after that and really started to blow up. But at the time, there was hundreds of dudes on the underground. You had the, like, Esoterics, Apathy, Vinnie Paz, of course, yeah. Nonfiction. Of course, oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, that kind of, that the white dudes that were coming yeah. up. On the, there was a whole underground, you know, Company Flow, LP from Company Flow. Yeah, so I remember them. Those open mics and stuff like that. Those dudes were already putting records out like that vinyl fat beats fondle them you know what i'm saying cage yeah all those dudes so when i was going and doing a freestyling in front of those like the new eurekan and stuff like ill bill would be performing inside before i knew it bill yeah and necro and you know what i'm saying and they had already started like their own labels and fucking and getting on like that so you know i think like I met those dudes a little ways down the line. Like I, I met uh, Caves from Lords of Brooklyn and, and he's the one who put me on. He actually gave me the name slain because you remember what everybody used to call me before that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, John Doe. Yeah, John Doe. Yeah, you, know, you know what's funny? It's like I'll see people from back in the day in New York and they'll still be like, John Doe, what up? Yeah, what up? you're like, <laughs> yo, but that ain't a bad name. It's ain't bad. Now, you know why I had to change it, though, is uh, there was a few dudes coming out. There was somebody who got signed. I think Buster Rhymes managed some guy or, or signed some dude that named John Doe. There was a couple coming up. There was another dude on Diamond D's uh, tape. So I started to see that name was already, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, then, and then when I came to the studio one day, I, I was going to uh, Lords of Brooklyn studio, and, um, and Caves had a logo all drawn up and everything. He's like, and he started calling me Slain. Ah, there yeah. you go. Like okay, and that's know. dope. That's dope. And and when you were and um, I remember when you were doing um, when the demos of LD and, and Damien and Astoria when you were coming. You have any of those tapes left? Any old demo shit? I was just asking LD that the other day. I remember those too. You know, it's crazy because the technology changed. Like those tapes, I don't know. I don't even. I don't think I have too many of them. I bet you Damien got some. Yeah, he definitely must have some. Yo, some of that shit, you put it in one of those Bitcoin stock R2-D2. NFTs, right? NFTs, R2-D2s. That's what I was looking for. Exactly. Yo, but that's cla- but that's good shit if you could get them. You know what I mean? Like old demo shit that shit that you don't care about. Then later on, it's like dope to have on catalog, you know, even for yourself. Yeah. To be I like, thought, yo, I, I have that. Because you know what's crazy that um you start hearing, like I heard like, Recently, I heard um one of the like they put my old band. They had released um uh, the old demos, right? And they had these uh, uh songs that we did at a rehearsal. These like that they, we recorded them for the the seven inch, but they were just two track lives. But I could already hear my style now, like in pieces. Yeah. So it was pretty bugged out to kind of hear like, oh shit, you know what I mean, like uh. Little little things you do, you know what I mean? When you start finding out certain words, how you like fucking, I like putting this with this. I like, you know, everybody has those little sweet spots they use when they make music, you know, and they write in. And it's a whole development process, like I said, and it comes from hearing yourself, partly, 
it comes from seeing what works live. I mean, like performing live is such a big piece of it. I, you know that, especially with hardcore music. I feel like I never even got hardcore music just listening to it in the beginning. LD used to play me shit. And, um, but then when I went and so, and the first show I ever went to was Madball, Agnostic Front, it was in CBGB's. It was like 1996. That should have been anybody. That should have made anybody a believer or run for the fuck. Yeah, for because so, so much of it is how it translates live. I mean, that's the essence of it. And I, I think like, that's, I even noticed that too, like with Spotify and stuff. I feel like the streaming numbers aren't necessarily as high for, the, and I noticed like some of the hip hop artists have high streaming numbers, but nobody goes to their shows. Yeah. And then you see like hardcore artists, the streaming numbers aren't as big as some of these hip hop artists, but their shows are packed. Yeah. It, it's an experience. You know what I'm it's saying? It's so weird how that whole draw shit works. You know, I seen it. It's weird what, what hardcore and metal. And I seen it with hip hop a lot also because my brother would um do um rest in peace. Um, my brother was doing security at um uh one of these clubs in the city, fucking um the one Narc works at. Anyway, fucking um, and um I I would hear about different acts and also Irving, you know, you know, you hear Ice Cube plays, and then you hear it's like, all right, it was a decent draw, and you're like, okay, it should be bigger. He's a movie star, but I get it, he's not in the mix. And then you hear, all right, yo, EPND played. And I'm like, yo, that's Long Island. You know, that's OG shit, yo, we dope. Ten people there. Then my brother, this was before the dude blow up, blew up. But my brother goes one time, he goes, yo, the, yeah, I almost got into beef with these dudes. I had to check these dudes. I'll never forget. It. He goes, I had to check these white boys. I go, what happened? He goes, yeah, there was some fat dude with a beard, whatever. But, yo, he brought like 250 people. Yeah, some shit action Bronson. And I remember laughing because I was like, fuck you, nigga. You making that shit up? Because I never heard of that name at the time. This was before he, he came out, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, I was still kind of like, and my brother goes, but he brought 250 people. But yet EPMD wasn't drawing that. You know, it's so weird how that shit works. And now even crazier. Well, even market to market, too, man. Like, New yeah. York is really, New York is a tough market to draw in because, you would think it's easier because there's so many people. But the thing is, like, you could be playing a show here, but then down the street, Nas is playing. And then up the street, Action Bronze playing. Yeah. Action Bronson is playing. And then, you know, over there, I mean, there's like, there's so much that you're competing with. There's nightclubs. There's, I mean, there's everything, all the nightlife that you're competing with anytime you do a show in New York. So, I mean, every, every, uh, Every every city every city has its own element to it too, and then you see some of these new jack kids who you don't even know who the fuck they are, and they'll draw like thirty six hundred people. You're like, who the fuck is this? It's crazy! It's crazy. But then they're here, here today and gone tomorrow. Crazy, you know, crazy. And you know what? Something I wanted to talk about. It just popped in my head when he said the new kids, and it's something that I know. Um, we're gonna. I was gonna talk about with you anyway because it's something that you know you you went through and whatever it was. Um how the drugs of the era affect the music that we play is something that's been in my head with a lot of things. Cause I, you know, I, I'm one of these, I got mad theories on music. I all, I, I'm one of those dudes. I dissect music, um, um, trends, theories, and I got theories on everything. Even with hip hop, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a hip hop guy. You know what I mean? I'm, I love that rap shit, you know, my era and my shit, but whatever, like I'm always, and, um, it's crazy. So, okay. Uh, um, 
you, you, you know, obviously you have problems with, with that. Even you just said early on, you were smoking. Duh. What, what, what was the drug of choice early on when you had, when you said, okay, I was fucking really walling out. You were drinking. I mean, in, in the beginning, it was anything I could get. Cause I was and, just trying to see what did what. And I liked being out of control and I, yeah. you know what I'm saying and all that. But I think like over time, I, you know, all the drugs I did, I think alcohol was my number one drug, man, because everything else was just to keep me drinking. So I yeah. love I love doing coke and I love. Yeah. Take, of course, know, yeah. And then the and then the, uh, the Xanax was to like take me down to help me sleep, to stop me from shaking, because I would get, you know, I was drinking two fifths a day for the last 10 years of my drinking. So I would need to take Xanax just to stop my hands from shaking and stuff when I woke up. But um I think like when you, I think the key to music, right? Like, is you just got to tell the truth. And when you tell the truth in music, ultimately you become a product of your time, whether you know it or not. And you can't even see it in the time that you're writing it. 15 years later, you look back and you can see that all the music is a reflection of everything that's going uh, yeah. on at the time, the politics, the, the, the economy, the fucking whatever is going on, right? So when we look back at this time, it's going to reflect everything that's going on right now, whether it's the pandemic and yeah. vision amongst people and, you know, the ego and the fucking, you know, just the crazy shit that's all going on around us, man. Like the brainwashing and the media and, you know, that's going to be apparent when we look back at the art of this generation, whether it's film, uh, music, whatever it is, like you can't help but do that. Like it's it's, you know, you know, it's crazy that exactly kind of what you said is kind of what on the same subject. What I was talking about, like like the kids today are now on some. You can hear it in the hip hop. It's fucking sluggish is mumbling because everybody's on lean. Everybody's on a pill. Everybody's on that. And that and you know what? That really dumbed down people where. Now people are, it's easy. To, it's just easier to be taken advantage of. This is without being political, just being as, you know, just being to be free in general. And I'm like, that affects the music sonically and also the, the, the vibe of everything. Because what's our era? Our era was we, um, if, you, if, you, if it was blow, but they mainly talked about selling it. It was mainly drinking and blazing and hip hop and rock and roll was okay. Maybe do lines and drinking alcohol, all right? And then whatever. Now it's a different game. Now they hear when you talk about Coke. Now they're like, oh, that's that drug dealer rap. And I'm like, the difference is I heard somebody saying, I go, that's a fucking fact. Back then with hip hop was. The drug like the drug dealers point of view, or I want to be the guy in power's point of view now is no, I'm a drug user. I ain't a drug dealer. Now you're automatically out the box. You already put yourself a step down. Not that I'm telling people out there to go be drug dealers, but you're already even in that world. You, you're putting yourself lower from jump. It's already has you dumbed down. It's so crazy. The mentality of, you know. I think the pro I think with this era though, and, and it's not just the music, it's everything. It's, you know, it's get attention at all costs. Right. So it's like shock value shit at the end of the day. Like, you know, and it's a product of the streaming too, right? It's like, it how you know, here's the crazy part. Like it used to be, you used to have to get people to buy your album. My album is in the store. How do I get people to go to the store and buy my album? Here's how it changed. You make an album, you put it out. It's in everybody in the world's pocket. We all have your album in our pocket. 
how do you, how do I get you to reach into your pocket and listen to my album out of the millions of different things you can listen to? Because you have every album in the world in your fucking pocket right now. So how do you do that? You do it by shock value. A lot yeah, of people, you know what I'm saying? Like the Instagram shit, the trolling. I mean, bro, we just had a president that was a troll. Like a, 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 a he he was a reality television star. Television has switched. We grew up there with shows, with actors and dramas and family dramas and and all that. And now what it is, it's just reality television. It's people who are a disaster. Like it's, let's put all these people in one house for, who are all different, who are not going to get along and and, wow, yeah. and, and and have them drink and get high. And then we'll record what happens and then we'll play it to the world. You but, know you wanna, but, but not for nothing, but wasn't it always that? I always thought it was that when they wanted the 50 cents that they want to see the kid come up and they see him self-destruct. But now yeah. if it seems like now you got it on wax now with like exactly like the next step up, like let's make it exactly. If it seems like a, a real life reality show, like let's, you know, if it's Kodak black now, if it's whoever, now you're watching these guys come up and then watching them. Let's watch them self-destruct. Yeah, Those are the, all the guys blowing up. That's right. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's like a, it's, it's clickbait. Basically, it's like, how can I get you to just stream my shit? How can I get you to pay attention to this shit? And the thing is, though, like you, you and I both know, that's not a long term plan. man. Like you see this Takashi six, nine kid or there's yeah. a million kids like him, though. You know what I'm saying? It's that flavor of the month. It's like shock value shit. Everybody, even me, I was following what he's doing, like yeah. on Instagram and shit. Like, yeah, just because you can't not. It's like a car accident on the side of the road. Exactly. And half the people who are following him hate him. They can't stand him, but they can't stop watching. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But I think like the longevity of it. I still think, you know, like. We have fans that have stayed with us over the course of 20 years. I mean, I have fans that have grown up with me. You know, I have fans that send me messages like, you know, that their whole life changes while that while mine is changing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And they're invested in the music. And I know Madball is like that too. You have yeah. lifelong fans who are invested in the stories, who are invested in in the feel of it. They're invested in the culture behind it. They're invested in all of it. And that's authentic. That's like a, a what do they call it? That's what they call um, engaged, an engaged audience, right? Like when I would rather have an engaged audience of 100,000 people than than a passive audience of 10 million. Of people. course, of you course. Know? Yeah, yeah. you get the attention. You want people to rock, really rock with you. Yeah, of course. You know, that that's for sure. But let me ask you this on, on that whole drug tip, because this is the whole thing where like not trying, not not um, uh, um, uh, to glorify in any way, but I always um, I bug out and I always um, try to uh, I like talking about how these vices actually affect the music. How like for me, I never wrote a song without blazing now, not because on some. Oh, I'm saying it to say it. It's just a reality. And it's going to be we're working on a 10th album. It was just something that would let me come up with something and not be so anal on it and just let me jam with it. You know, I get nice. I take a couple blasts, a couple puffs. I'm good. I could relax. I could jam out to something and I'm not um, um, I'm being very judgmental on myself when I'm straight. I come up with something. I'm like, it's whack. It's whack. And I won't work nothing out now for a fact. I know that's part of my remedy and guys that partied. We all know throughout the years and whatever 
we know, I know for a fact, good or bad, sometimes bad things help write good music. Yeah. yeah. Well, how much of that was with you then? And then we'll talk about how it is now doing it without it. That was you know all I mean? it was. I mean, that was that was a big I mean, there was a lot of aspects to my addiction, but that was definitely a part of it. And it was the hardest thing to overcome because it was my livelihood. And I was like, I can't do this. I relapsed over and over when I tried to stop. And I'm trying to save my house, my marriage, my family. And I can't stop because, I, you know, I got 28 days and I go in the studio and I have writer's block. And it's that thing you said. It's, I'm so critical of everything I do. And when I have a couple drinks, it makes that voice go away. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. This is, and I stopped exactly. questioning everything exactly. and I just let it flow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that was such a part of my process. Never mind the cocaine. The cocaine helped me do three songs a night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, fuck, ah, I'm going until yeah. seven in the morning, put on another beat, put on another ah, yeah. I'm leaving the studio with three joints, man. Uh, no. you know, and I think it's the greatest thing ever. And like all these songs are brilliant until I listen the next day. And I'm like, eh, well, that's when I start doing my editing. When I'm like, all right, this one's cool. That one's <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Do, do, do you do you remember writing your first song straight? Like as now the reborn version of you now? Or you know, yeah, you know, I mean, reborn, there like, was a couple that I wrote straight while like, you know, because I would have brief stints. Or some that's practice. what I mean. I go to detox and shit. I wrote one called Black Horses that was on um, a, a World With No Skies. I wrote that sober. And that shit is still to this day. Like it's it's dark and it's dope. Oh. So I think a lot of it, it was, is the... It's a lie. You know what I'm saying? That I yeah. need because we like to get into these little rhythms and we have a process. And I like to set the temperature to the same degrees in the room every time. And how I do that is by ha- like, I know if I'm too bombed, I'm going to be sloppy, but I like to be right in the nice. perfect zone. The same thing with going on stage. Like I know I can drink this much and then I can drink while I'm on stage. And, but then after stage is when I really get fucked up. But I need to get like a nice buzz just so I can wild out. You know what I'm saying? So that was a big adjustment when I got sober, man. Like, especially performing live. Like, at least in the studio, if you feel if that voice is too loud and telling me the song sucks, like I can leave the studio. But when I'm on stage and I'm looking and everybody's looking at me and it's like brand new because I never performed sober before. That, that, was, weird, that, was, right? that was a difficult thing to overcome. Yeah. I've done I've done that mistake going out too blasted for my own good, and then realize <laughs> like, yo, hold on, I don't know this shit. I barely know that. I barely remember these fucking things. Get fucking get fuck out of here, crazy. <clears throat> and let me ask you this: so when you all right, I remember all right. So I remember you doing the the, the whole uh, the open mics and when you were in New York bouncing, and then I remember kind of the early connecting the dots with the House of Pain and all that. Um. How did the official meet getting up with the House of Pain thing be, become? Because then that led into the La Coca stuff. Yeah, that, I mean, it, that's it, it evolved that, over time. You know what I'm saying? It was it's like anything, you know what I'm saying? That happens authentically and organically. Like it takes yeah. time. So like the first time I met Danny Boy was also at CBGB's in like 1999 or something like that. And uh, it was just in passing. I met him through Caves from Lords of Brooklyn. I think Lords of Brooklyn did a show at CBGB's. And uh, and I met Danny. And then a few years later, I reached out to Danny because I was doing like a, a I was recording a record with the label with the with the dude that that uh, that I started a record label with that didn't end up working out. But we we flew Danny into Boston and, 
you know, that was another part. And then year, a year later, when I flew out to LA or whatever, like, or, you know, I linked up with Danny and then Danny plugged me in with Lethal and then Lethal signed me to a pre-production deal. And then, you know, over the course of time, it just ended up evolving into that. Like Lukoka didn't really start as what it ended up as. It started as Lethal signed me to a pre-production deal. He signed Lefty to a pre-production deal. He signed this other kid Opto to a pre-production deal. And he didn't feel like doing three different tapes for three different kids. So he had us all get in the studio together and we started working. And then Danny Boyd drew up a logo and, and, um, and then, you know, that shit didn't work. It didn't work out. Like we recorded 18 songs. It kind of fell by the wayside. I went back to, to, to Boston. And then um, when I went back out there again, um, uh, that's kind of when Everlast came back into the fray and he, started, he recorded a song with me and then Bill was coming out. And then that's when it all started to come together like that. So it took about five years after the first time I met Danny before that happened. And then, and, and how, and now how was that then? All right. You, so you, you've recorded with Everlast in the, in the, you've done sessions with him together in the, in the studio. Or oh, does yeah. He go, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Does... So, so when I first went out, when I went out, when I was, I, it was after I had worked with Lethal the first time I went back out there and Lethal produced a song and, and I had reached out to Everlast and asked him to be on it. And then we ended up all now House of Pain had broken up like 10 years before that. So we all went out to dinner and that was the first time the three of them had been like at the table together since they broke up, I guess. Right. So, and we ended up kicking it and, and Everlast came back to the studio and he laid a verse on this song. I forget the name of the song. I think it's When the Sky Falls or something like that. I forget what the I forget the name of the song, but it ended up in Gone Baby Gone. See, after that happened, like things started to really escalate quickly. So you know, like you met me in, in 96, right? So there was 10 years before 2006 where it was like all these kind of pieces coming together and developing my style and all that. So once two once I got to 2006 and Lakoka got together in the form that it event, you know, with with Danny Boy, Lethal, Everlast, Ill Bill, myself, and Lefty. And then the Boston Herald did a story about that. And uh Ben Affleck saw me in the Herald and then called me in for an audition. And then it was after once 2006 came, then things started to just go like that. That was it. You graduated. That's when grad you graduated, and then it was on. You had to get, you know, like, okay, because all that shit. So that's just what I was going to go into. I was wondering where on the timeline was Lakoka and then that get the whole um, I'm, I'm getting fucking um, when Ben Affleck found you. And so it was around that same time that shit. Same time. So, bro, like, I, you know, the kid, there, there was a dude who who uh, who I was running, who I was starting a label with. And we we um, we got like this warehouse in Roxbury and uh, which is a neighborhood in Boston. And we were putting a studio in there and we were trying to set it all up. And he ended up getting popped and he was, look, he had a case and everything and he fell out of the picture. So I'm in this warehouse for like eight months. There's no hot water. There's no electricity. Everything's getting shut off. And I'm just like squatting in there. I had nowhere else to go and I'm trying to make shit happen. And that's when I'm going back and forth. You know, Lethal's flying me out to LA. I'm crashing on Danny's couch. The beginning of the coke has happened. I'm flying back to Boston. And 
and and squatting in that spot. And that's when Affleck seen me in the paper. The Herald did a story. You know, at the same time, I got my first mixtape out that's really fucking buzzing in Boston. Like, I'm starting to get known. But I'm not really making money yet, seriously. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just, like, doing everything I can to, to hold it all together. And that's when Affleck saw me in the newspaper. So I went in there, and I, and I auditioned for that. I ended up auditioning, like, five times. But All I right. Didn't... But all right, let me ask you this, though. How you, he gets in contact with you? How does so, he find you? Well, or do you go, or like, well, you know? like the sto- Here's how the story goes. So I, because I had no electricity at the spot and because I was drinking <laughs> the coke, on, right? I was up the spot at the after hours. And I would charge my phone there and I would hang there till like seven in the morning. Then I'd go back and I would crash out. Now, there's a... Uh, there's an area right up the street from there, Mass Ave area called Methadone Mile in Boston. And I walked up to the mobile gas station there and I knew I was in the Herald that day. This dude, Chris Ferrone, wrote a story. It was about, I had this new single coming out and it was it was about House of Pain getting back together and, and nonfiction and Lords of Brooklyn and all and everybody being involved in like this kind of collaborative group. And it, but it was a little bit of my backstory about my shit, about Lakoka and had my picture in it. So when I went back and I crashed out, I woke up at three in the afternoon and I had all these missed phone calls, like 60 something missed phone calls. And, um, you know, a lot of them was people just saying they see me in the newspaper that knew me or whatever, but it was also Affleck and his people in the casting agency. And they reached out to the Herald and they reached out to 94.5 and they reached. So I had all these media outlets calling me. And so eventually I called the, the casting agency and they're like, can you come in today? And I was like, I was banged up. I was like, uh, tomorrow, I'll come in tomorrow. So I got good and drunk and I went in there and I auditioned. And But and let me ask you this. When you first hear like, oh, whatever, we're casting in Ben Affleck for a movie. What are you thinking? Are you thinking it's bullshit? How many times did you have to hear it to be like, wait a minute, is this shit real or not? Or did you believe it from jump? Like, wait a minute. I did, but you know, you know what's crazy is I had heard already that they had a couple other white rappers come in, dudes that I knew. I think Bill might audition for it. Gotcha. I think that's what Derek did. But there was other dudes because the original role that he had me read for was not the one that I got. It was the role of Cheese, and in the book, uh, Cheese is like this big, like this white dude who talks like a black dude or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, so that's, he was having all these white rappers come in for that role. And that's what he had me come in for. That's what I auditioned right. for the first two times I went in. And then they hit me and said, we think you would be better for this role of Bubba Rogowski. Will you come and read for this? So I read for that three times. And then, uh, you know, I got it. And, and let me ask you this. Was he there for all the readings? He was. Oh, and he was instructing me towards the end because like, I didn't, I never did that before, you know? So he was, he told me, I think the last one, he was like, you know, I really want you for this role. I need you to show, put this onto the tape. Um, and I forget, you know, it was the way he wanted it. Cause he, gotcha. in hindsight, he was pitching me to the studio. You know, yeah, he, so he was kind of, he was looking out for you, t- trying to tell you what you, to yeah, do gotcha. Also, like he had a vision for that in, in retrospect. Like he put a lot of like uh really authentic Boston people who didn't have acting experience. So when you're talking to a, a you know a major studio 
And they're like, wait a minute, who the fuck are you putting in this movie? You know, yeah. I'm guessing on that end of it. So yeah, he had not for, for sure really, they're doing that. He had to really sell his vision for like getting yeah. me into that role or getting other people into these roles. And I'll tell you what, like that movie is great because of that. It's it's the most authentic Boston movie ever. It is, it is. That shit it fe- everybody feels like dudes that it feels like when I go to Fenway, which the whole it, it, that's like the same people there that I've I've seen when I've played fucking the club across the street. <laughs> like it really feels like that. The whole movie feels like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what I said. What I liked about him was like, like he made a city movie and he tried to keep the city involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's dope because some people do just enough to keep the city you know, happy, but you could, you could tell he's making Boston movie. He's trying to make that shit Boston. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And he's, I mean, he's just a phenomenal director, man. Uh, yeah, he killed you know, it. Like he's made some great movies. And, you know, after that, he did the town obviously, but he also, uh, the, the one that got the best picture was, uh, the political Crazy. one. I'm, I'm drawing, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Great and 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 um um what was the you were doing a movie recently when I talked to you right you were doing some some um um southern you you were doing some southern shit right or something right yeah down south out, or something yeah it comes out in November so um it's called Ida Red it's with Frank Grillo uh it's with Josh Hartnett Melissa Leo and William Forsythe who if you He's hard. The hard. Oh, he's great, man. And I got. How is y'all? So you worked with him? Were you able to work with him? I mean, like same yeah. set, like when he's there. Hold on, Argo is the movie I was talking about that Ben directed. That one best. Argo, picture. yeah, that shit was Argo huge. Was yeah, oh, forget it. it was huge. But um, yeah. So foresight. So basically, I got called up during the pandemic. This dude, John Swab, he directed a couple movies that that I was in. He did uh, one called Let Me Make You a Martyr with Marilyn Manson in it. And he shot it on like a shoestring budget. It was his first film. But I could see that he was really talented. I saw a short that he did. And then I went back down there. He shoots his movies in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he's from. I went back down there in 2018 and did a movie called Run With The Hunted with him. And then he called me in the beginning of the pandemic and was like, yo, I'm shooting a movie. I was like, right now you are? You know what I'm saying? Nobody's shooting shit. Like, it was like. Not yet in the height of the pandemic, he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, we got restrictions. Everyone got to wear masks. You got to quarantine in your hotel room when you're not shooting, you know, all. And I was like, all right, I'm in, you know what I'm saying? And, and um, yeah, I play a Southern cop, like a family man. It's totally against anything I've ever done. Like, Catholic, <laughs> you're like a Catholic. family man, totally everything. I've Yo, ever it's great, you know what I'm saying? Because like, I, I'm used to playing like, you know, like, a certain type. And a lot of times I got the Boston accent. I'm like a Boston criminal. And uh, as an actor, like, obviously you want to have a range of shit you could do, but you know, some of these casting types aren't the most imaginative people, believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? And they just want you for that and not for this. So, you know, I did, I've been doing like dialect coaching and stuff like that for a few years now, but, uh, but this one, I really get a chance to do like the accent and, and Forsyth is my partner in this. Like he's a federal agent that comes in to investigate um, Hartnett and Grillo, who are these. Uh, they do heists and stuff like that. And their mother is, is like a, is the matriarch of a crime family, and she's in jail, and that and she's dying of cancer. They're trying to get her out of prison. But meanwhile, I'm married to Josh Hartnett's sister, and I'm kind of pursuing uh, the case. So I have to try to lock him up. And um, yeah, I get to work with Forsyth, man. And he's kind of like my mentor in the movie. And it was just an interesting dynamic to it because, 
you know, offset, we're hanging every day. You know, like I said, we're in this bubble of the pandemic, so you can't really hang with too yeah. many people. How and, was he? How was like, did, did, let me ask you, did you learn off of him? I learned a lot, man. I would talk to him every day. I watched the way he prepared. I watched, you know, like we would rehearse our scenes together and just the level of preparation that he put in every day. I was like, wow. Cause That's you know, for most of the early stuff I did, especially like I was just flying by the seat of my pants and just be like, all right, I know this. I know like, you know, I started off with gone baby gone in the town. I was like, I grew up around people like this. I know what this is. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right in my wheelhouse. I know exactly the way they would say it, how they would do it. All yeah. That shit. Like, and uh, that's what Ben wanted me to bring to that role. That's great. But now it's like I got to learn how to walk in some the other shoes shit. of these this dude from Oklahoma, and to talk like him, and to think like him, and to move like him, and all that, and to watch the level of, um, the level of commitment that Forsyth has to it and how much experience he has doing this and all the greats that he's worked with. And now, I mean, dude, the best education I ever got with this shit has been the people I work with. Like I've gotten to work with everybody from Affleck and Renner to Brad Pitt and fucking Leota and, you know, Forsyth. And, you know, it's just like, Oh yeah. That's that's the, that's the way you learn. Yeah. That's it. You keep your ears open and just shut the fuck up and listen, man. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Forsyth was on chips back on the day. He played a skinhead on chips. Did he? Yeah. How ill is that? If people out there go fucking Google that shit. And I remember bugging out with my brother again, my brother put me on everything. Rest in peace. He would be like, yo, check it out. It was on like slam dancing. It was like, New wave against punk rock, and William Forsyth was the main bad guy in that shit. Yeah. But he was always our favorite. Well, he was I, in I once upon a time in America too, bro. I the mean, great, like, yeah, American me. You kidding me? Yeah. That was fucking yeah. Once upon a cockeye, he was great. He has that face, and and just that's that that whole. He's even great in like comedies. I've seen him in all types of shit. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. And he's, fucking, he's, he's phenomenal, and he's a great guy too. He was awesome to work with, man. And and how long was that movie for to do? That was a month, and we had so we had to get the test, you know, the nasal tests every other day. You know, like when I wasn't shooting, I was in my, uh, I was in my hotel room. I was like fucking binge watching Netflix shit with uh, with my girlfriend while she was in Boston. Like we would watch the same shit at the same yeah. time. And then in between that, when I was prepping for. You know, the scene the next day, I was working with the dialect coach when I would go out to eat because Danny boy lives down there, too. So I would link up with Danny and we'd go out to eat and I would talk in the accent. I would order my food in the accent. You know what I'm saying? And just try let me, to yeah, let me ask that thing. I, yeah, because I heard you on Richie and Joe's podcast. I think that's what you talked about that the, where I heard you talking about the dialect shit. Let me let me ask you this with the dialect shit. So um, uh, uh, what 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 was certain What's a quick little thing that you found how to speak like a hick? Oh, excuse me, like a southerner, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, you, you must have found some couple little, you know, sweet spots for certain words that, uh, you know, like, you know. Yeah, you know, what's crazy is like, I can't I mean, I could do the accent if I had like, but to, yeah, to get in the role, like, I really have to be in it to do it the right way. And like, yeah, because you got it like, yeah, that's why I had to go out and order shit in that accent. Like I was I would talk to people on the phone in the accent. And it's it's because like, I'm afraid, like, if I get out of it, then I'm going to slip when I'm on the screen. It's terrifying. Man. Yeah. Hell yeah. You get I on have... there and you're like, oh, fuck. Like, people are going to know I'm lying. You know what I'm saying? Like, who did you 
was there any specific personal movie that you watched to be like, let me follow this that you were kind of like, no. So here's, here's, here's what, um, and, and, you know, like I never went to any acting school or classes until recently, like about three years ago, I started going and I, I unlearned some things that I had learned. And I'll tell you, I used to memorize my lines by listening because I'm an audio listener. I'm used to memorizing my songs by listening to them so I could go out on stage and do them. And I learned that's actually a really bad thing to do with acting. Because once your brain memorizes the rhythm of how you say it, you can't do it any other way. The fluctuations on the words. Then if you have to change it, then you will forget the lines. So I learned a different way to memorize. I also learned like never to imitate anybody else or watch the way I do shit in the mirror to just live and breathe in that character's skin. So the way that I did the dialect stuff was I worked with the dialect coach and she goes right down into the use of your diaphragm, the muscles in your tongue and your jaw and your mouth. And I started working out all those. So I do like an hour vocal warm up with her. And I actually started doing it like when I went on tour with her to warm up my voice and stuff like that. Cause sometimes I'll blow out my voice at the beginning of a tour. Yeah. Once I get used, once I, once I'm like three shows in, I'm good for 20 shows, but like the, the where I'm in danger with my voice, always like shocking it the first. Yeah, the first yeah. But um, yeah. So anyways, it's all connected. So she basically taught me how to use, my mouth, how to use all the muscles in my mouth. Cause when you talk with a Boston accent, you're not using certain parts of your tongue and your mouth. And you're like, yeah, I parked a cow over there. It's lazy. It's a lazy way to talk like yeah. that, you know? So just by doing all that work over the years, like my Boston accents kind of like been dialed down man. and like not intentionally, but you know, let me ask you, do you know where yeah. you, do you, you, do you know, or do you think you know where the boss, that heavy Boston, accent came obviously obviously it's a southie but way obviously an irish but do you think it's from old school irish coming to new america learning english and that was some of their yeah, accents I think, so. I think there's part of it it's crazy she knows uh, this woman's name is jameson bryant she's brilliant she works with like a lot of different she's on movie sets all the time like sometimes i'll hit her up i'll be in europe and i'm like hey can you jump on for a vocal exercise yeah. and she's like oh, i'm on set you know what i mean like she's all she's work steady but she knows the history of all of it but yeah i think it comes from that it also comes from like we say with the music and the film right you're a product of the time right and that's how these accents people talk based on like the whole culture around them so down south it's slower and they yeah, talk true they talk a little slower like this and you know yeah. what i'm saying and yeah but up here, and then in New York, where people are like more boisterous, there's more people. You have to be louder to be heard, sure. and you know, very outward with the with the uh, projection. Yeah, you project. The, yeah, it, it makes sense. So be, because you know why I say that because so you know obviously we we all spend a lot of time in Europe and you know and my son, my wife, rest in peace, was half Dutch. She was Dutch, so my sons have Dutch, and I grew up, you know, I, and I've been around the Dutch forever. And the crazy thing is when they learn how to speak English good, they sound like not that they have a New York accent, but it kind of sounds it sounds like a New York accent without the slang overtone on it. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And the Dutch are a big part of the, you know, the early New York fucking language. It's, it's, It's mad crazy. I hear it when all my friends from Holland and Belgium learn English. It sounds like a Northeast English. It's fucking crazy. And it makes sense because, 
they're the ones who came and fucking invaded our, our, our fucking natives. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, yo, it's all those things. So that's kind of like what turns me on with acting now is that part of it where it's like, you know, fucking all these things make up a, a human being and how they talk and how they act and how they dress and how they move and all that. There's so many elements to it. So to really get into somebody's skin and play a role like that, you have to know all that yeah. shit. You have to know like what kind of sneakers do they wear? Yeah. I used to think in the beginning, like when I was, when the first couple of things I did, like, because it was so natural to me to play those early roles, like I, I was, and I would see people like, doing all that extra shit i was like ah that's just some it's fantasy shit. right yeah. yeah but nah it really is like what kind of sneak is there what, what time does this guy wake up what what are his values what makes him angry you know what i'm saying like all that shit because you have to be able to react in the moment you have to live in that person's skin it's it's kind of like it's a cool thing you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah yeah no but right now you saying it like that i don't i never thought about it like that but it make it makes it more interesting when you want to like say, okay, let me deep, let me dig into a character. Okay, now that's digging in. Like, yeah. okay, because it's true what you were. If you weren't, if you're a construction worker, if you're a nine to five, okay, you wear boots, you're wearing boots. Okay, the guys, you know, uh, you know, nine to five working Joe. Okay, how he's gonna be? He's gonna be grumpy. It might be like this. It makes sense how you could start molding a character, thinking about how yeah, would he like, dress. What, is it the type of dude that would would spit while he's walking yeah. down the street? You know what I'm saying? Because some people would never do that. Yeah, I know it's fucking that's dope. And, and that was the, and the I remember we were talking about that. And was that the last thing you did? Yeah, that was the last thing I did. So and that that was kind of part, some of that stuff I got by watching Forsyth, too. I see he does that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's very much into like what kind of watch this guy would wear. What kind of you know what I'm saying? Like what kind of hat? What kind yeah. of boots? No, they have to be this kind of boots. He was like very specific about all that shit. And if it was, if you know, if he couldn't get it the way he wanted to, like he didn't like that. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's great. You know how that is when you're writing one of your songs. You know, it got to be how you want it. I'm fucking anal like that too. You know, I'm like, I get it. And but that, that's dope because that means you're putting in. You know, you could tell when you put in time into something. You know what I mean? Or when some shit's just thrown together. You yeah, know what I mean, fuck, when you give a fuck, about yeah, you could tell fuck, when you put that, that love that's like, like, you know, that you put that soul food and whatever it is that you do, you could tell, you know what I mean? And all that shit and fuck it. And, and now what's next with the movies? What's what what's, I got a couple of things like I wrote one that I'm trying to get made. And, and you were uh, telling me and another friend of mine wrote one that that he wrote a, a really dope role that I want to play in it. So I'm trying to I started looking at it different, man, because for a while, you know, for a decade, I was living in LA and Boston. So like bring it back to the pandemic, chasing the bag around the world touring. I'm living in LA half the time. I'll do two weeks in LA, two weeks in Boston. I'm trying to get back from my son's game then go out in LA so I could be there for auditions and all that. And when the pandemic came, that stopped. And I started, you know, I, I just had a different, I had like kind of a moment of clarity with that shit where I was like, the fuck am I chasing auditions for? Nothing I ever got came from like standing in a line or going in for it always came organically. Like I got the call out of the newspaper or they reached out to me for this. Or yeah. They like me for this one. That's the way it fucking works anyways. So I was like, you know what? I never did that with music. I never fucking was like, sign me, sign me. Maybe in the very beginning. But like after that, I was like, yo, I'm just going to make records, find my own fan base. Make noise, make like noise. That. So, I, you know, 
the, what I realized in the pandemic was I like being at home with my son and my family and my girl and, and her kids who live with me. And um, I like that. I love acting, but I don't chase nothing. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I love making music, but I don't fucking chase nothing with that neither. Like I'm just, so I'm in this new spot right now where it's like, I'm 43 years old. I have, you know, I have, a, a fan base that I'm very appreciative of, and I have a skill set that I love to use, but I'm also not chasing shit and I'm not thirsty for nothing. And I don't need nobody to put me on with nothing. I just, I want to make the shit that I want to make. And I'm going to try to take the same approach with films as I did with music, where I'm just going to try to make my own shit and find a fan base with it. And then whatever happens, happens, whatever the universe sees fit, then I'm cool with, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the day and age now is doing it like you could do it now. You know, now that's how it is that that whole DIY is what's in style now, like something that how we came up with that mentality. Like, you know, people forget this. This is why this is why I love this hardcore shit. You know why? Because it's the whole there's no other scene where you had some 15 year old kid finding a venue, renting it out, booking the bands, you know, no other scene. I don't give a fuck what it is. I don't because even if it was a hip hop show, it's at the roller skating ring. It's at this and that. It's already at an established thing. It's a big part. This was like young kids in this punk rock hardcore shit that were doing. Yo, they loved it so much and they had nowhere to do it. So they like early hip hop. We got to make this up. We OK, an abandoned building. Well, that's our club. OK, we're going to need somebody at the door. Yo, you're, you're my biggest friend. All right. You're the doorman. You know, you made it happen. <laughs> That's what I loved it. And everybody was 15, 16. Look at the 15 year olds now. Yeah, these motherfuckers don't know how to do shit. You know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Try try to tell them how to put a, uh, use a tape player. They'll look at you with like 10 heads. You know, it, it, it's it's so crazy how it is now. Bro, it's the best way to do it, man. Like, I, you know, looking for somebody to put you on, man. That's like, you know, or like, you know, the thing that the thing that I had to ask myself and part of this was like, you know, I started clearing up and my values started changing once I got sober after a while. Like it was difficult to create in the beginning. I went through all these different phases, yeah. but like what I want out of life became more apparent to me over the last few years. And one of those things is like, yo, I just want to I just want to be able to show up for my son and be there. Like that's my number one priority. Yep. Fucking oh, yeah. chasing something in fucking Hollywood. Fuck all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. So that kind of, but but it's also what I was saying, where it's like anything that was meant for me always came to me anyway. So like, I'm just gonna do what I love to do, what I know how to do, and whoever fucks with me, cool. And if you don't fuck with me, cool. I don't care. That, that, and that and that's the best way to be. That's how I am. You know exactly. We just do what we do as good as we could do it, and and hope people get it. Yeah, I mean, I tell people that. Let me tell you this, right? Let me ask you this right now. And I know it's hard to pin down because we could go into errors and whatever. Remember this. I know this and I know you. But right now, gun in your head, you have to put a fucking Mount Everest of, of, of rap. Four guys, even if it's a team, a duet, they count as one. You know, you don't got to use them as two. You know what I mean? But uh, like you, four is you, too yeah, hard, man. I mean, you know, like I know it's man. hard, but like this, you, you only could you only could pick four to put on. I, right now, we got a brand new kid. This kid is brand new. This kid's going to be great at whatever we implant in this head. Right? This kid, whatever. He's a blank thing. And they go, okay, we, the idea, we, we, we're we going to get to make this kid the ultimate rap kid, but we only got four ingredients of rap that we could put in him. Oh, man. You have to put these four p- ingredients in. 
and there's four groups for four individuals. It don't matter. I know there's more. We probably would have 10 to 15 if we had a pin now. Well, I think here's a distinction. So when I, whenever I make a top 10 list, right, mine is a little bit different than other people. But what I base it on is a few different things, like obviously like skill, and uh, like Mike presence, you know what I'm saying? Because like, we know like a Biggie Smalls or an Ice Cube's Mike presence goes beyond what their technical word, yes. word play is, right? So like, we, I know that Ice Cube and Biggie don't have the technical word play of Cool G Rap or Eminem, but their mic presence is just so great. And it's like an intangible quality. Exactly. You know? But I also, you also, and this is the part that a lot of people leave out and this is an important part, whether this is in there or not, but impact, do we include impact on this Mount Everest? Because impact to me is like, if you're including impact, then there's no way that you can leave out Tupac. There's no way that, you know, because his impact, I might not think Tupac was one of the great, the greatest 10 or four artists ever, but his impact was. Yes. Yeah. And I agree. And this is why I said this. If you had only four to give, and that's what I mean. Out of these four, you might have to pick one who was the impact guy, one who was the lyrical guy, one who was the whatever. That's what I was saying. So you had to pick four and you're the representative for hip hop. So everybody's like slain. Who are the fucking four or five or whatever that you no more than five. If you had to give some kid that, OK, you're like, OK, it goes deeper than that. But I'm going to give you my a, a, a good five, a, a good batch of five to to start your fucking yeah, hip hop rap fucking uh, experience. Are we including producers too? No, rappers. If, if they happen to rap, but like again, like how you said, and however you want to put it, if they, you know, the impact guy, the delivery, you got five guys. You could you I, pick five. Well, you know, I got, you know, in my, this is kind of my wild card. Most people don't include them, but I think Ice Cube has got to be in there. Oh, I agree. Ice Cube, like I said, his mic presence, he dominated an era from 1988 to 90. He, he kind of was at the forefront of the West Coast. So dope. Hip hop. And uh, also he wrote arguably one of the greatest hip hop and, and, you know, and straight out of Compton, he wrote yeah. one of the greatest records ever. He also, you know, that solo record run that he went on with America's Most Wanted. Wanted. That's good kid. And you know what I'm saying? All that Predator, shit. Bro. All that shit. Oh, my I God. I mean, bro, he just has so many classics. And, and then, you know, obviously transitioned, especially his early shit acting, the Boys in the Hood shit. Yeah. Oh, he surpassed. Yep. He was great. So I put him up there. Um, now, remember, there's a young kid. So you got him for that. All right. All right, you got the Ice Cube, and Ice Cube is nice. He, 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 I, he you know, I gotta, I also gotta put Jay Z in there, and I'll tell you why. Jay Z is the story of yeah. hip hop from beginning to end, right? So, you're talking about like the 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 great American rags to riches story. You're talking about the drug dealer who didn't pay the consequence at the end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who transitioned yeah. it successfully, who didn't end up dead or in jail, who actually ended up like Wall Street. He went from Rossi yeah. projects to the boardroom. You know what I'm saying? To yeah, be yeah. a billionaire. Board of directors. And, shit. and he's had, I mean, like when you want to talk about impact with Jay-Z, just all those <laughs> hit records, all the hit singles, all, you know, the 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 fashion sense the the ability to be a spokesman for the culture where you can sit down on CNN yeah and talk about hip hop 
to America. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like to me, that has a value where maybe he's, and he is a great MC too. Maybe, you know, there's other people that might be able to rap technically better than him, but they don't have that whole package, you yeah, know, he, in the yeah, business for center, sure. story, the mouthpiece. For um, sure. He ain't one of my favorites, but he belongs there. Like I agree. Cause that dude's on some other shit. Like he's nice in every way. And he, you know, he knows how to talk, you know, he, you know, he has his, his records clean, you know, and everything, you know, the hood loves him. The clubs love him. He does yeah. something for the girls. You know, he does something for the animals. He got, you know. And he stayed current over the two yeah. decades, you know. Yeah. Let's see. So Ice Cube, Jay. And those are two, of course. I don't know if he belongs in the top four, but I, you know, I always put him in my top 10 MCs and that's Prodigy because he had like a, a he had a poetry to him that like mm -hmm. he loved like his vocal tone, but he would say things in a way that nobody else said him. And yeah. even though it seems simple, it wasn't. It was complex, yeah. like in the way that he put it at the same time over the mob deep production with that, you know, it, it was quintessential New York shit. Yeah. I oh. love Prodigy too, you know. Um yeah. shit. I mean, you know, I think. This is why it's so hard to do four because you can't really ignore like so the early contributions like the Melly Mel's or the of course you know uh, Rakim who kind of innovated a whole style and you know there's just yeah but then I you know I think G rap too like how he kind of innovated that multisyllabic wordplay yeah shit has become why and, and and that's what I mean but that's why I, I wanted that because not for exactly to match up your top four or five, but for those reasons, exactly why would you pick each one? Because they all bring something to them. That's what it should be on a Mount Rushmore. What does it bring? You know, like, and I agree because, you know, like, um, like I grew up with G-Rap. He grew up in my neighborhood. You know, he's from Corona. And I remember being a little kid, Polo, was the custodian at my, at my elementary school. So when you went to throw out the garbage from lunchtime, Polo was the garbage man there, but like he was already, they dropped it to demo. So he already had gold. He had a Benz. And I remember, you know, all the girls loved him and he was mad. Cool. Polo was mad. Cool. And we were like, yo, somebody from the hood made it. You know, we were like, yo, this is crazy. And I was like, um, but you know, G rap was known for like, when I was a kid, I remember the big thing was like, yo, G rap versus Kane. And cause there was like the real lyrical dudes. And then you had biz. Biz was a party guy. If you wanted the party, that was the guy you went to. So I always understood who was for what. You know what right. I mean? Like, and then when I got older, I like picking dudes brains on who they throw what. Cause like, let me yeah, tell so you, I'm going to, I'm going to leave prodigy out then. And what I'm going to replace. Pro so I'm going to do ice cube and Jay for different reasons. But then, yeah. you know, I was thinking Cypress Hill, but then I thought because of their live performance, but then I have to go to the root of the inspiration for Cypress Hill. And I think th those guys have set a public. I mean, Cypress Hill is my favorite group to perform live. Yeah, I love those too. guys. They're tremendous guys. I love Be Real. I love yeah. Sandbox. I love and live. They're the best there. And they're just incredible. And they and they and they made such just like, you know, their their whole their whole movement and their sound was just so original. But 
and I've heard them say it, it was the inverse of another group that inspired them, that you had the, the deep baritone for the front man and you had the, the high pitch shit for the, for the uh, hype man and that's Public Enemy. Wow. So even though Public Enemy probably isn't like one of my personal favorite top 10, I think they're so cool. relevant and important oh, yeah. in hip hop music. So I think like their live show, what they represented, the political movement behind it, at yeah. the time that they did it too, like that really exploded that, um, that like really, that thing that's kind of missing in hip hop now too. Like it's, it's that revolutionary aspect to hip hop yeah. where it's like, you know, I've, I, I think they called it like back in the day, the black CNN, this is yeah. like, you know, and just the style, which what they did it with and the, the of cause know. they had, there was a cause for a lot of that shit. Now people, there's no cause for nothing. You know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. just comfortable being a moron. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what right now, if you had. All right. What, what would you tell anybody? Any any new kid right now? All right. Right now. You got your chance to tell any new kid coming up, a, a new kid. He wants to rap, whatever. What advice can you give him right now to, to, to that? That a dude, you, you know, the lay of the land right now, what it is. What advice would you give a new kid right now? I mean, I think it's basically what we were talking about. So the, because. The, I, I think about it, what would I tell the 14-year-old version of myself? And I would tell them, like, it ain't about just getting on or, like, making noise or getting everybody to stream your shit or making a lot of money, any of that. Like, ultimately, it's, like, and this is what kind of I've repositioned in my life. Forget about what the music can give me. Like, I try to think what I can give to it. Yeah. Like when I, like, can I tell the truth about, what's going on in my life or in the world or in this situation, in this song. And if I can cut to the truth of it and portray that and, and make something great around that, that's all I give a fuck now oh, yeah. about now. And then the rest of that shit will come if you do that effectively, but you can't look at it as like a, an, a, a means to justify an end. Like I yeah. want to be, platinum i want to be yeah, exactly i want these things like that has nothing to do with the music you know what i'm saying if you make music that's based on the reality of of your life of the world around you and everything and the truth of that then that music becomes timeless if you do it well you know what i'm saying then that music becomes timeless exactly you know, mad ball might have fans that aren't even born yet same with me like yep my music could be more relevant 20 years from yeah, now than it is now for sure. it's the truth you know what i'm saying yeah and that's sure. more important than like whether or not hoya or slain made 10 million dollars in fucking 2023 you know what i'm saying exactly exactly my, my whole shit is when we go out that people go out saying yo those motherfuckers lived that shit they you know they walked what they talked you know if it was or they walked it how they talked it back then and whatever it is they always stood you know on track, you know, when we do music, it's our, it's our soul out there. And I want to keep continuing doing that and, and, and keeping the music pure and trying to keep the, not just our movement, just everything pure and moving forward. You know what's up, Slay? Like I said, I'm glad I got you on here because I know at times are crazy. And, um, and also with you, I'm glad, I'm glad that you've been grinding. You're one of the guys who, um, we have a lot of friends that could be falling off the edge at any at any minute now. And I'm and I'm glad that you're one of the dudes that you worked at it, but I you finally, you know, you caught your 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 
you caught your you dug your hooks in and you know i could i i feel already be like oh no no he's done with it because you know I, I even with me being i got a lot of uh, people that we know they try and they meant well and not that saying that's an easy thing to do because it's not but i'm glad that you're one of the guys who worked that shit and, and it worked in the positive and you were you i know that shit helped you out with your kid and i see you i know that kept you more it helped you be focused during this time right now because it helped me stay focused you know um um you know how it is during wartime you got to be focused so it's good that um um um, um we, we have our senses you know um sharp so uh, you know yo yeah. and it's like you know and and this relates to all of it but like nobody does when you talk about music, like nobody, nobody continues to make music the, at the level we're at this far into their lives unless they fucking love yeah. it and they're, and they're the truth with it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Facts. Like, we live this, we walk this, we rep this. This is part of who we are outside of any fucking show exactly. or tours or labels or money or record sales or anything. This is just part of who we are and what we do. And as far as like, that's been a part of like rebuilding my life in every facet. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So like oh, yeah. wherever I go, all that shit comes with me. The music comes with me, whatever my growth is or whatever, you know, any difficulties, hardships, like that shit is all reflected in, yep. in that. That's an outlet that I have in order to get, that gets me through. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whatever difficulties there are, whatever obstacles, whatever's going on in the world, I'm always going to, Use oh, yeah. creative spirit, you know what I'm Listen, saying? Listen, I your kid looks happy, so you're killing it. You know, that's how I say to me, you know, when you have kids, that's how you could tell how good a parent is. You know, if you got happy kids, your kids look happy. And I know you're fucking grinding and I'm fucking um, I know you you you're busy with this whole you basically you, you know, we're the dudes bobbing and weaving and surviving during these crazy times. We're not the dudes folding. So that's what I love to see when my people are grinders and all that shit. And I'm fucking, but let people know where they can find you, where they can follow you and where your music is going to drop and all that good shit. Cause we got a lot of people in Europe too, that tune into here. And I know they all love you. Cause every time I go to Europe, they would sling the coca, you know, <laughs> fucking, and uh, you know, sick, sick yeah, jacket, love, shout we, out to jacket. We, yeah. Shout out to Jack. Um, man, I, that's the worst thing about the pandemic is there's so many people that I love that I miss that I used to see a lot more. And, yeah, uh, I know. You know Jack is one of them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Shout out, shout out to them. All of them. Hell yeah. Bill just sent me a joint the other day with Gore-Tex. Dope. I put a verse on it. Jack is putting something on it for Bill's new record. Dope. I'm working yeah. on an album of Static Selector right now. Oh, dope, dope. So you just, where's that music? Where, where when, when that's ready to drop, where they get it at? Where you Check it out on Spotify, on Apple Music, on all the streaming sites. I have a website, slainofficial.com. Uh, that's also my Facebook page, Slain Official, Slain's World on Instagram. And, I, you know, uh, you know, my shit is just everywhere that music can be found, brother. Hell yeah. Listen, Slaney Slain, I'm glad you were able to come on. I'm glad I grabbed you. Listen, I hope to catch you in the flesh somewhere. You know, we're going to get up soon. You know how that shit is. You know, um, we're going to talk. I'm going to let you know this shit drops this Thursday and I'm going to let you know. And I'm glad again. Mad love to you, Slaney Slain. You know what's up. Keep killing it. Kiss the fat for me. I'm going to hit you up later. And um, we'll talk soon, my brother. All right, Hoya. I'll talk to you soon, bro. Yo, one love. We out, everybody.